episode 171 of the A News podcast, a digest on anarchist activity, ideas, and conversations from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. We hope it's useful to and fun for anarchists and the anarcho curious. Give us feedback and constructive criticism by email at podcast at anarchistnews.org. For more information and usually some good commentary, see you at your favorite non sectarian anarchist site with commentary, anarchistnews.org. What's new this week? New online anarchist journal on Riel from anarchists worldwide. Woohoo! First, it's always nice to hear from a corner of the world less vocal, which Ireland counts as for some of us. Second, that part of the world is generally dominated by terrible red politics of decades past in the vein of the workers' solidarity movement, which you can look up and decide for yourself if it's anarchist. So it's definitely nice to hear about this new journal that has this to say for itself. Quote, anarchy is not waiting for the right conditions to materialize or waiting on mass organization to be built but consciously taking advantage of the cracks in the system wherever you live, whether in a housing estate, countryside, city, or prison, to create the space for ourselves for a self-creating life against domestication and all authority, constraints, idols, and controls forced upon one's life, and to actively experiment with projects of liberation and revolt, either individually or collectively, to undermine this authoritarian, monolithic, industrial civilization." Unquote heavily anti-civ content so far, and they're going to make John Zerzan happy as they quote him on their homepage. And that is okay. Let them enjoy him while they can. Welcome, new journal. 30 years, lie big 34, we never stop from squat.net. Celebrating the 30th birthday of a squat called lie big 34, and remembering the history of squats after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Quote, 30 years ago, after the fall of the wall, people from a wide variety of backgrounds flocked to East Berlin to take advantage of the chance offered by the unresolved chains of command and the unspeakable vacancy. Entire streets and blocks of houses were occupied, redesigned, and filled with ideas and creativity. The streets of Friedrichshain were full of life and very practical solidarity. At one corner, there was a discussion meeting, in the next open-air cinema, and there was food cooked for the whole street. In these hours also lies the origins of our collective, which entered the rooms on Liebigstrasse 34 in July 1990, and thus made the beginning of this project. In the following years, a lot changed. The squat became a feminist house project without cis men. Through hard work and years of struggle, it was tried to create a shelter and to offer an alternative to the cis-sexist everyday life, unquote. Obviously, squats in Europe have been under increasingly heavy fire as capitalism crashes, so this anniversary is bittersweet. Maybe all anniversaries are bittersweet? Maybe that's just me? The contagion of revolt spreads. Revolts everywhere! From anon. In the midst of all the mentions of proletariat this and dictatorship that, capital here and class there, this article embeds a cute assumption that writing an anonymous article to follow up on an anonymous article from months ago will mean anything to any but the most attentive slash bored readers. Quote, We also said that the tons of fictitious capital which have maintained with an ever more decisive importance the flows of capital for decades already, and which have now been massively injected into real mercantile exchange with a massive creation of symbols of value without any backing or limit, would create a devaluation without precedence, a destruction of capital of unforeseeable consequences that would push the proletariat to the limit. Lebanon, the first country to see a revolt spread in its territory against the state of alarm, was at the same time the first to see its coin hit rock bottom. The Lebanese state, which had declared bankruptcy and declared a default on its debts, saw how the dramatic increase in the prices of commodities expressed a drastic reduction in the value that the coin claims to represent as much as two-thirds, unquote. 
This article spends too much time saying the initial article from March was correct and is far too Marxist for me to take very seriously, and it thinks that people should stop focusing on special interests as it detracts from the revolutionary capacity, so enough said. Op Bialstock, a text from anarchist Nico Aragema from prison from Act for Freedom Italy, dated June 19th. Nico gives an update on his arrest and current situation in prison. Quote, we new arrivals are locked in cells of about 3.5 meters by 2.5 meters on the ground floor of the southwest corner of the structure. From Wednesday, June 17th, they are finally letting us do 40 minutes in the yard per person. The section is full up and we manage to keep each other company and help each other as much as possible. I'm fine, my morale is good, and for now I don't need anything in prison. I heard the greetings last Sunday and have received many telegrams and mail, all things that have helped to give me strength over these long days. I thank everyone very much for this. I expect to be transferred to another prison with high surveillance units by the end of the 14 days quarantine, unquote. Quarantine for prisoners? Obviously he's not in the U.S. Anarchists arrested for graffiti in Indonesia from AMW. A call for solidarity for anarchists tortured by cops. Quote, not long after, two other anarchists were also arrested by the police in Tangerang and Bekasi without any solid grounds. During the investigation, they were beaten and their faces were wrapped with plastic, which made them go unconscious, a series of unauthorized measures to the point of torture. This violence was followed by isolation that made them inaccessible to their friends and families, even to legal attorneys who they're supposed to get as stated by the law, unquote. They face up to 10 years in prison. Links are provided to support these folks. Vegan Bunnies Deconstruct Gender from El Libertario by Sergio Jimenez, translated by The Collective. So, best headline ever? Top five at least. Quote, The Peruvian artist Vegan Bunnies uses urban art to deconstruct topics of gender at the same time she tries to deconstruct herself day after day because she doesn't consider that she is perfect, nor is she looking for perfection. Instead, she says she improves constantly, unquote. Quote, Anarchism motivated me, its way of expressing itself in the streets always interested me a lot, and when one has an interest in something, the world takes care of taking you to see those things. It was something natural, she emphasizes, unquote. The Heuristic Capacity of Anarchy, from Anarchia.info by Gustavo Rodriguez, translated by The Collective, which is kicking ass on the translation tip. A philosophical look at, among other things, the tendency of radical practices and ideas to be subsumed, distracted, co-opted by the normal, here metaphorized as the gift shop. Quote, in these days of pandemic, we've seen anarchism at display on the gift shop. It's been selling under the red clearance label alongside other ideological wares as a politically correct alternative oriented to positivity, construction, cooperation, care, integration, and reform in search of social acceptance and strategic alliances. Distanced from that somber anarchy, always disposed to negation, illegality, conflict, and rupture. That is to say, carefully distant from those honorable exceptions of the runaway herd that today, consistent with the praxis, spread the fire in the prairie." Unquote. This article takes Jack Halberstam and his book, The Queer Art of Failure, as a jumping off point to make multiple salient points. A fun and worthwhile read. Note, for those of us who need reminding, quote, a heuristic technique or a heuristic is any approach to problem solving or self-discovery that employs a practical method that is not guaranteed to be optimal, perfect, or rational, but is nevertheless sufficient for reaching an immediate short-term goal. Where finding an optimal solution is impossible or impractical, heuristic methods can be used to speed up the process of finding a satisfactory solution. 
Heuristics can be mental shortcuts that ease the cognitive load of making a decision. Examples that employ heuristics include using trial and error, a rule of thumb, or an educated guess, unquote. Thanks, Wikipedia. A virus-like insurrection from Japanese blog site Hapex by Nezumi, translated by The Collective. Woohoo! Another short post, though much longer than last week's. This is a segment from an upcoming publication, I guess? Assuming Hapex 13 is issue 13 of a print project. Anyway, the final part of this post has a controversial suggestion. Quote, racism was derived from colonialism, but according to a recent work by the widely quoted Scott, the slave system in this form has its origins in the agricultural state itself, and it was in the permanence of agricultural states that epidemics had their beginning. And the virus is something which continues to redefine life between existence and non-existence. That is, it was inevitable that resistance to the governance laid bare by the virus tragedy would be triggered by racism, and by returning to nature, this insurrection cuts through the origins of governance. And with this disrupts Schmidian politics by virtue of its asymmetry. It emerges into another dimension by answering the question of racism with the external force of natural, Igawa Takao. No longer is attacking racism a defense of the last fortress of liberalism, unquote. I am very interested to read more about the point of that final sentence estimation. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll be able to? Fingers crossed and prayers offered to the translation gods. Two report backs from Fuck the Fourth March, from Puget Sound Anarchists. Two charming first-person accounts of roughly the same action in Olympia, though folks bifurcated at some point. Sounds like a super fun time was had by all, with plenty of things to dance around and no arrests, so far anyway. Fingers crossed again. Quote, the final event of the night was a victorious bonfire away from downtown until the sun started coming up. Close to 100 U.S. flags were set ablaze. With every flag added to the fire, we shared the name of a martyr or survivor in the centuries-long war against white supremacy and colonization. The bonfire was a beautiful mix of raucous joy and somber contemplation. Unquote. Unfortunately, the comment section here was occupied by what might as well have been a cranky anon arguing with himself. Lots of bombast, little content. A night of raw police violence and terror from anon. A brief announcement about police freaking out in Exarchia with three minutes of video. Cops use their motorbikes to rain people, run over their hands and feet, threw flashbangs directly at people, threw a gas grenade into a bar, smashed up multiple places inside the square, etc. Apparently using the quarantine as an excuse to go wild on people standing around. Quote, And in the midst of this chaos, caused by the Greek police in Exarchia neighborhood, solidarity and resistance stood out. From Exarchia, residents who opened up the front doors of their buildings or their apartments to provide shelter to the people being ruthlessly attacked or chased by the police to the people who went out on their balconies into the streets, rising up and defying the barbarians in uniform. No matter what they do, in this neighborhood, everything comes back to this. Resistance, self-organization, solidarity. For many, many decades now, unquote. And we hope for many more to come. Anti-police revolt in Oaxaca from an email translated by The Collective. This announcement of street activity against police violence and murder of young people is accompanied by two videos of about a minute each showing vandalism and resistance. Quote, The contingent blocked University Avenue on both sides with, with incendiary barricades, painted slogans on the walls like police, rapes, and murders, and we are their worst nightmare, as well as anarchist symbols. Convenience stores were attacked and looted, leaving liberated products on the street, as well as some banks, various signage, and public property. The press was also violently repelled. Unquote. No arrests were mentioned, so here's hoping. Rambles in the Fields of Anarchist Individualism from Libertarian Labyrinth, 
Sean has left the water metaphor, but is continuing the place metaphors, just making them terrain rather than aquatic. Sean's continues to be a project that is exemplary. His decades-long process of unearthing, ha, and translating anarchist texts that he then explores with as much leisure as possible, and allowing us to share it all with him. Quote, Proudhon's free absolute, a unity collectivity, seems to involve the right mix of the free and the fixed, the individual and the group, held in antinomic tension. Stirner's unique is perhaps most striking for not being an instance of any type, or perhaps for being an only one that does not seem to preclude others. And what can we say about the self that Walt Whitman sang, casually mixing the single and the en masse? Do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I am large, I contain multitudes. My own understanding of the anarchic individual is, at this point, something of a synthesis of this material, except that the various insights do not come together, or at least have not yet come together in any simple unity. Instead, my thoughts remain more than a bit anarchic. It remains to be seen whether or not that is a problem, unquote. July 4th in Minneapolis, The Logic of Autonomous Organizing, from CrimeThink. Both a report back about a specific event and an explanation of the difference between autonomous organizing and uh, non-autonomous organizing? The distinction to me sounds a bit too much like someone writing who is on the inside of organizing groups versus on the outside. But it's true that there are super big protests that are organized by groups that are even less accessible than a friend group or a series of friend groups. It seems to me a bit of a subtle distinction to rest on so hard, but okay, autonomy is good. Also, seriously, tons of photos of graffiti. Chicks love graffiti. A Call to Howl from Night Forest Poetry. A call for submissions to this poetry, etc. journal, kicked off by noted insurrectionary anarchist voice Jack London. Just kidding. Quote, The Night Forest cell of radical poets is once, once again, again sounding the war cry, calling to those who inhabit the forest with us our friends, friends of old, and, and those who may be wandering and want to join, to submit to Journal 3. To anarchists of every kind, to free thinkers, urban primitives, techno-pagans, nihilists, eco-warriors, vegans, rebels, <laughs> outsiders, artists, writers, photographers, anyone else who hears the call of the forest in their soul, join us! Unquote. Join us! The Cop-Free Zone from CrimeThink. The takeoff, one could also say ripoff, of the concept of a TAS. Quote, the cop-free zone is not the particular block or traffic circle or park. It is the shared commitment to defending a space and eliminating the dynamics of policing and white supremacy. In the following collection, we explore some people's experiences attempting to create police-free autonomous zones in different parts of the U.S. Unquote. Whatever, imitation and flattery, etc., this piece emulates the book Occupy Everything, allowing people from the various attempts at cop-free spaces to speak for themselves, although after the obligatory editorial comments prefacing it all. The write-ups are thoughtful and interesting, so nice. Another generation of folks on the streets, but in a world that has changed, which means who knows what will happen. Frontliner to the front from IGD. A quote, retrospective on the ongoing revolt in Atlanta, Georgia, that has exploded in the wake of the police murders of George Floyd and Richard Brooks, unquote. A long report back with many tweets on day-to-day -day events. Not heavy on analysis, but that's okay. We can bring our own. Crops, not shops, for health and food security, from A-Infos. The anarchist communist group in Britain brings us this announcement of a new project called Crops, Not Shops, a, quote, guerrilla gardening project made up of a fast-growing community of people stepping away from the unsatisfactory and unreliable food supply supermarket cash removal machines 
to take control of their own living spaces, food, and diet by investing in growing and managing their own food supply, unquote, includes helpful links. While self-sufficiency is always part of a valid goal, capitalism has never had a hard time working around these projects while they're useful and shutting them down when they begin to compete. Regardless, getting your hands dirty, metaphorically and literally, gets a thumbs up from me. Audio and video! Discussion with Julian Langer, Part 2, Uncivilized Podcast 15. An hour and 15 minutes from Uncivilized Podcast. Another conversation between Uncivilized and Langer, this episode treads similar territory to the first, namely the breadth of Julian's intellectual interests. To be fair to Langer, there is something exciting about bringing in so many different modes of thought into one project, psychology, science, philosophy, metaphysics, etc. However, as this interview is yet another love fest without critical engagement, we're shown one of Langer's greatest weaknesses, namely a lack of receptivity to criticism and or the tendency to keep babbling into eternity if not offered criticism, with any substantial bits of thought getting lost in a flood of ramble. The self-published second edition of Julian's books is also brought up, with the author doing a bit of a squirm dance while explaining his relationship with the initial publisher. New anarchist video platform, Collectiva. Two minutes from Collectiva.media. This is an announcement for a new collaboration between sub and anti-media for, quote, a collective effort to offer video hosting to anarchist collectives and individuals federated with the PeerTube network, unquote. If you're familiar with either of those projects, you'll recognize many of the titles currently hosted on Collectiva, but I was surprised to also see a large number of videos featuring Barry Pateman and Audrey Goodfriend. Woohoo! Beyond hosting users, Video Collectiva is also asking people to translate subtitles on a regular or irregular basis, so if you've got those skills in your pocket, run wild and free through their content. Immediatism 82, forward to Brethren of the Coast by Iska Shato. 22 minutes from immediatism.com. Brethren of the Coast covers, quote, first-person narratives and interviews with political and economic analysis to contextualize the reality and the public perception of people publicized as pirates, unquote, in Somalia. The foreword, written by allies, does a bad job, which is unfortunately not unusual, in treating the pirates as victims, which is understandable but hardly the only thing going on. The first part of the book proper is much more about how pe the people commonly called Somali pirates understand themselves to be protectors of their environments, livelihoods, and communities, fighting the overwhelming forces of international corporations, dumping waste in their waters, etc. Broken Windows, Falling Empires, a discussion with Christian Williams, an hour from IGD. This interview with Christian Williams covers, quote, what counterinsurgency theory is and how it has influenced American policing, its relationship to U.S. military operations, and its growth out of military engagements aimed at crushing anti-colonial rebellions, unquote, particularly in relation to the American rebellions of the present and recent past. If you've heard Williams before or read the, his books, the information provided will be familiar. The origin of American policing and slave patrols, the boomerang between military and police enforcement techniques, and the intensification of police through, quote, community policing, unquote. As a fellow The Collectivizer pointed out, this episode's show notes mention Williams' book on Oscar Wilde, but the conversation only involves the topic of policing. This brings to mind the constant issue with anarchist authors that instead of being treated as people with a wide range of knowledge that could be useful in any number of contexts, they are instead brought on as one-trick ponies whenever a singular interest aligns with the headlines.
topic of the week, ecofascism. Ecofascism. It's something I hear lots about, but understand little of. I've read these recent essays, these recent mainstream news articles, and a head-spinning number of tweets. One tweet that caught my eye was an anarchist asking for a substantive working definition of the word. There were no substantive working definitions in the replies. I've asked questions left, right, and center, and I'm none the wiser. And so I'm reaching out to you, A-News commenters, to help me make sense of it all. What's the difference between this and the same old fascism that we've been against since forever? Is it something to do with population, with immigration, with technology, with Ted Kay, Idris Elba, Murray Bookchin, and or David Foreman? Is it something to do with fish in Venetian canals, deer in Tokyo, clear skies in California, neo-folk and industrial music, noise and black metal, Michael Moore's latest film? Is it European, Mexican? Is it about violence, amorality? Is it about terror and eco-terror? Is it the same thing as eco-terrorism? Is the term deliberately vague and pluralistic? Or is it self-explanatory and blindingly obvious? Does it mean something different to us, anarchists and fascists, and sorry, anarchists and anti-fascists, than it does to authoritarians? And finally, whatever ecofascism may or may not be, what, if anything, is to be done about it? Greetings, Anarchy Land. Ariel here, and on our plate in front of us today. I have invited to talk with me today, Mistral. Welcome, Mistral. Hi there. So Mistral and I actually don't know each other very well. This is the first time we've actually spoken. Um, he is a new Little Black Cart author. We've recently published his book, Iolus's Lament. Um, and so we haven't actually had a lot of cause to interact with each other up to now. So welcome. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So the question sent me down a research hole that I could have very easily never pulled my head up from. Um, yeah, talk to me about, about what this question does for you, what it, where it sent you, what it makes you think of. Um, tell me about you and ecofascism. <laughs> so I'm actually... Uh, confused, and I feel like as the years go on and we kind of progress into a more confusing and desperate state and civilization, it's almost appropriate that something like ecofascism would pop up as a relevant ideology. Because on one hand, it's the same old fascism, and that this is reminiscent of blood and soil, the Third Reich mantra. But on the other when you hear about these shootings, you know, in the, in Christchurch and, um, the one in the Southwest in America where these shooters are espousing an eco-fascistic ideology, it almost feels like it's the American rights coming to terms with the fact that the environment is being destroyed and they have to marry the destruction of the land base to their nationalist, hateful, fascistic viewpoint. And so I don't know what to make of it, honestly. I, I see both sides. Like, is this, is this an atavistic return to Nazism? Or is this 
something new, like the right being like, oh, well, you know, maybe oil and gas, maybe uh, the continued use of fossil fuels isn't going to work for us, so we need to espouse this kind of nationalistic environmentalism. You know, it's interesting that you said that the, with the exact the way that you did, because I did a whole bunch of reading here, and the, the thing that you said about them coming to terms with the fact that the environment is going to hell, I'm actually not sure that that is, no, I'm going to say that I do not believe that that is uh, uniformly or consistently true. I actually think that there are plenty of opportunists in here who are not necessarily convinced, do not necessarily believe in climate change, do not necessarily believe that it's all going to hell, but marrying this hot button topic to this very powerful thing for them, um, the exclusion, the racism, the oppression is too good. And they're not going to miss the moment, uh, which is just, I guess, is a tactic. Something. I don't even know where I'm going with that. I just. No, I, I think that's no, that's that's totally I, I think that's really believable. It's kind of like a cynical adoption of this, like environmentalism in order to continue to espouse the hateful nationalism against immigrants. Um, yeah, I think that could that could definitely be true. I think the reason why I might push back on that, though, is, I mean, take the shooter uh, in the Walmart in, um, El Paso. in El Paso. That's right. You know, he, it doesn't feel like from his, from his manifesto, there was like this cynical manipulation of environmentalism. Like it seemed like to me as totally fucked as his viewpoint is, it seemed like it was at least coming from the heart where it's like, he does believe the environment's being destroyed. The multinational corporations play a role in it. And that, immigrants coming across the border are very much uh, a part of the destruction of the land base. I, 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 took, I took him seriously when he said that. Um, I might be naive to do that, but I feel like how serious and egregious his actions were, it's hard not to take him at face value. Oh, no, trust me. I believe him. He is definitely <laughs> not who I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying ecofascism in general, like as an ideology. Yeah, I, no, I think that you I'm really saying, could be onto something there. I'm saying that, you know, Twitter creates a landscape for there to be lots of really, really vocal people about a particular issue. And I think there are lots of vocal people who, that if you had to split the hairs, would actually fall on the side of climate change deniers. But it doesn't matter. Because, because the racism is more important, I guess. Mostly, I guess I'm just yeah. saying... Wow, the power of racists and racism and ideology. It's a uniter, really, is what I'm saying, <laughs> Mistral. That's what I think I'm saying. It's a uniter. It's so ridiculous. Um, uh, it it, it feels like the salient point of ecofascism is, is the racism. And, and, and in that way, I definitely agree with you. It's almost like environmentalism is it's like this like tacked-on facet to this like really just hateful anti-immigrant viewpoint. Um, and I'm the, part of the reason that I'm laughing is I guess I'm a, I'm actually a little I am a little bit surprised and I I mean I guess that there's a way that I'm a little overwhelmed. I know about ecofascism's history from the Nazis and I knew that the Christchurch shooter 
had used the phrase in his manifesto from news reports, not that I had read it. And then I knew that the El Paso shooter had mentioned it in his letter. Right. And I've, but for me, the modern day representation of this was Trump. And I thought that the Trump supporters who I saw spewing these ideas that the, these immigrants are destroying the purity of our country and its beauty and, and, and the litter and the dirt, you know, and uh, the whatever that they bring across the border. I really, I really did think that that was mostly about him. And now I have done enough reading to see that he's actually a very poor hanger on to a very long, very fast train. Um, yeah. And, and so I was just sh- shocked. I guess. And shocked isn't really the right word because, you know, I've been an anarchist for a long time. I know better. But yeah, I, I get, I, and part of like me in my head is like, good God, the lengths that people will go to to be racist. Um, yeah, it's just, it was, it was kind of yeah. amazing for me. Um, so, but one of the things that, so I'm going to dial back a little bit. Uh, I, there was a definition given of fascism in a piece that I read that, that I really liked. Um, Fascism is a shifting political force, one that keeps its focus on inequality, identity, violence, and mass action across times and cultures. And so I think most of what I'm trying, most of what I'm reading is trying to say that ecofascism embodies that definition, um, but is specifically advocating um, that both government and non-government entities intentionally act to radically diminish the human population. And I think you could draw a stop there for some part of what we could identify as the eco-fascist population. And then there is the extension, or, or not the extension, but like then you go one more step um, and hang on. There's an article that I read um, that had a nice little one side of the other. Uh, Yeah, so um, there's a a part of the eco-fascist ideology that's going to blame the demise of the environment on overpopulation and over-industrialization. Um, and then, uh, so it calls, it fuels the calls to harden borders at the softer end. And at the harder end, it can express itself through the idea that climate change is a divine purging. Um, and wow, the the Ergon would mock me mercilessly right now because I just quoted Naomi Klein, which is a little embarrassing. But um, 
that seemed that that was like a nice framing for me to to kind of see it at all of the various for it to be kind of laid out on all the various stages of the spectrum. Uh, and that definitely gave me some clarity. Yeah, you know, I think the only thing that I would like to add to that is, is the, the definition of, of fascism that you started with is, um, you know, it could be a state actor, it could be a non-state actor, but I think it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, there's been a lot in the, the news about non-state actors, um, neo-Nazi parties, uh, who've been doing horrible things in protests, who've been espousing horrible viewpoints. But these are also people, even if they never see the light of day in government, they have no problem, and they would have no problem, using the state apparatus to exercise their point of view. Because I think fascism, a critical part of it that we have to keep in mind is that it is either the desire or the utilization of a centralized bureaucratic state apparatus. And I think just espousing hateful anti-immigrant ideology is not enough to be fascist. It has, you have to be able to wield or desire to wield or want to uh, wield a just centralized machinery. And um, I think that right there is what separates um, a lot of the neo-fascists, eco-fascists from even like the, the Ted K's, the Ted Kaczynski's, who espouse, honestly, like similar viewpoints, not the anti-immigrant part, but there's no desire, at least on these far-left radicals, to want to wield the, the state to exercise their goals. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, uh... Oh, I think yeah, it just God, harkens so back to the idea that, yeah, exactly, yeah. I, this harkens back just to the idea that we just can't call anyone who espouses a hateful anti-immigrant uh, viewpoint as being a fascist. I think there's an element of state apparatus that we have to we have to keep in mind that that is important and is actually elemental to the idea of fascism. Yeah, one of the um, I, someone I talked to who I would consider and. Uh, an expert on this from a from a philosophical theoretical place, um, uh, and he he wasn't able to to be with us today. Um, he the thing the nugget that he gave me that stuck out with me was that um, it is fascist in the sense that it promotes a strong and in, and in uh, parentheses he put global, which I think I understand now why he did that. I didn't understand when I first got it from him. A strong global government acting unilaterally, i.e. anti-democratically. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, in, the, in the assumption that no even remotely democratic society would adopt the, the, the kinds of measures, because essentially what we're talking about is, is, is eugenics, population control, and population curtailing, right? Um, yes. Uh, and using it as a justification for mass death. Um, and the assumption being that no democratic society would ever, like these would never be policies that they would adopt. Or not, you know, if it's a democratic society, then it's the will of the people and the people would never willingly choose to just, yeah, sure, kill half of us. That's fine. Um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely correct, I guess is, is what I'm saying. I was just adding more language to it, I suppose. Um, yeah. 
yeah, I learned about lifeboat, eth- lifeboat ethics and um, a Swedish guy named um, Penti Linkola who, wow, I mean, mostly just, it's pretty great that he's dead. Um, okay, so let's go back to the topic of the week. He was, he was, uh, he was, he was Mr. Lifeboat. He was, yeah, he was he, Mr. Let's Cut who, Off Their he, Hands. They yeah, tried to swamp the boat. Yeah, the and and this and the particular phrasing that he uses is so. What is it? Those who believe in life, those who value yeah. life, uh, no, those who those who hate life will try to load it with more people and sink the lot. And that's just so. Wow. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Sorry. I don't have good words there. I just can't. Yeah. Um, so it is also interesting to me, the question asks, does it mean something different to us anarchists and anti-fascists than it does to authoritarians? And, um, I think that the answer to that is yes. I think that those, except for the obvious extreme parts, um, I don't think it's always clear, um, the distinctions between, um, it's not, it's not entirely clear to me. When anti-fascists use the word eco-fascist, or I guess I should say, I am, not in a, I am now not in a place where I'm going to assume that I know what anti-fascists mean when they say it. Uh, yeah. And um, what, I, what I do think is interesting is that regardless of the actual definition, when, authorita- when authoritarians use eco-fascist, um, they're absolutely embracing most of what anarchists and anti-fascists are accusing them of embracing and clearly not particularly yeah. apologetically, which, you know, look at that. Hey, we got that one right. Um, and then there's this question of, is it the you same know, thing as eco-terrorism? How far did you go down the eco-terrorism rabbit hole? Yeah. I think this is, this is something that I'm excited to to explore because, and this is the reason why I wanted to make clear what I think about fascism, which is again, it's the it's it's the marriage of these viewpoints with the state apparatus and eco-terrorism. You know, whether you look back at actions by you know Jeff Lewers um, or a thousand different um, people in the late '90s and early early 2000s um, to Ted Kaczynski and his uh, piece Industrial Society and its Future. Uh, they either advocate or committed acts of eco-terrorism, but there's just because you do or you commit a decisive or you espouse a decisive action that uh, aims to protect the environment doesn't make you a fascist. Mm. Just because you do something that's decisive, just because you do something that is um, that's clear and that uh, that affects someone else, even with violence, doesn't make you a fascist. If you know, if you think about uh, the Wall Street bombing in the early ni- in the early twentieth century, just because you bomb something doesn't make you a fascist. That's what separates eco terrorists, at least as we know them, from the far left in America recently, uh, from a lot of the neo Nazi ideology. Is that there is no desire? In fact, there is a desire to fight against the state apparatus uh, from those who are committing acts of eco terror, mm-hmm. and I think. Oftentimes, the word fascist is used as a vague, sweeping, 
broad stroke insult against people who commit unilateral acts. And I actually want to push back against that definition. I think when we're talking about fascism, we're talking about the wielding of the state apparatus to commit horrible crimes, authoritarian crimes. And I think eco-terrorism is just not that at all. Just because something's decisive or unilateral doesn't make it fascistic. Yeah, I totally agree. I, the only thing that I have to add is that there's a part here that's going to be really, really important to anarchists. The federal justice department definition of eco-terrorism very specifically includes acts against property and it equates it it's all the same thing acts against people acts against property exactly the same thing and it all gets labeled as eco-terrorism and of course most anarchists are going to absolutely push back at that and, and there's no way that you get to claim that um, that life and property are equal, and that this is the same thing, and that um, yeah, and that any attack against property isn't an appropriate uh, protest, for lack of a better lack of a better word. Um, so I just I was yeah. I was re- and that, no, that yeah, just, totally. it just it stuck out to me so strongly that it's all just it's all part of one sentence, right in the line, without even skipping a, skipping a beat. People or property. Yeah. Or individuals or property or something like that. And I was like, what? Of course, right? This is just Justice Department, but fuck you. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. No, it's great. Um, okay. And then here's, and so we'll go to the last yeah, question. I, I, no, no, go ahead. No, I, I think that, that that's a really, I just wanted to reflect on what you were saying. And of course, that's a state definition. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes sense the state would make that definition because the state considers property um, that's owned by people as basically the same thing as people. It's something that's valuable, something that has inherent value, um, something that bolsters the state uh, property does. And so to me, that's, that's, that's very much a, a state definition of terrorism sure. that, of course, I'm against. But I think if we understand the state, then it makes sense why they would make uh, such a definition. Yeah, sure. I mean, the state needs to needs to hold the monopoly on violence, and the state needs to protect capitalists. And, and so, both of those things. Exactly. The end result of that is that you cannot you, you cannot commit violence against property and buildings. It doesn't work for them. Uh, yeah. No. Property might cry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I don't have any idea what to do with the last question here. Uh, uh, it says, uh, whatever ecofascism may or may not be, what, if anything, is to be done about it? Thoughts? Ideas? I feel like I don't have an answer for this. So I actually, uh, I have a, a bit of a circuitous route to, to get to my thoughts on this one, awesome. which is, I think that the Republican Party, if it continues its progression is going to dissolve its marriage with the oil and gas industry, with the lobbyists who are associated with fossil fuels. And it seems to me that this kind of environmentalism, as the facts of climate change become clearer, as the devastation in the land base becomes clear and undeniable, that the right is going to have to put environmentalism into its agenda. And it seems like in the way that anarchists and ultra-leftists often pave the way for cultural improvements, for cultural shifts, 
it seems like that these eco-fascists are paving the way for the right of the future. Because honestly, in 10 years, in 20 years, are Republicans or the GOP, are they really going to be like, yeah, Chevron, yeah, let's explore more gas in the Arctic oil fields? Possibly, but it seems like there's going to be there's going to be a lot of uh, weaknesses in that viewpoint as the realities of climate change become clear to everybody. And at some point, the right's going to have to acknowledge it and then absorb it and then co-opt it. And eco-fascism is going to be the wave of the future for them. And so what is there to do about it? I guess nothing different than we are doing, just understanding mm-hmm. that that this eco-fascistic tendency is not, I don't believe that it's a blip on the radar. I believe this is actually uh, a bell of the future. Okay. Well, I'm going to let us end on those words. Uh, thank you so much for having this conversation with me as as all over the map. Yeah, it was wonderful and, talking with you. And unguided as it has been. Uh, yeah, it has been great. Um, thanks to the uh, Anarchist News Collective for the question. Um, it was definitely thought-provoking and engaging for me. I hope it was for all of you, Anarchy Land, as well. Um, and yeah, we'll have to do this again, Mistral. And, uh, I would love that. And to Anarchy Land, you all... Uh, uh, stay, stay safe, stay angry, and take care of yourselves. Until next time. Bye. This week's podcast was sound edited by Greg. What's new was written and read by Chisel and Greg. No editorial this week. And we thank Ariel and a friend for their help with the topic of the week, eco-fascism. To learn more, anarchist and anti-political books, pamphlets, and other material are available at littleblackheart.com for news by and or about anarchists and up-to-the-minute commentary. See you at anarchistnews.org and or the Anarchist News IRC chat room linked on news. Dream.